Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I'm really excited. We're wrapping up 2014, and 2014 has been a very good year. I I feel very fortunate for so many things, but one of the things I feel real fortunate about is this podcast and the audience that tunes in and listens, the guests that I've had on the show. And I'm really excited because as I get ready for the new year, one of the things I typically do is sit down and try and map out some goals that I have for what I want to accomplish in you know 2015 in this case. And I've been working a lot on really having some really good target goals that I can achieve this year and help move my whole business forward. And today we're going to talk with an entrepreneur who is really an expert on goal setting and also somebody who worked for big brands, big corporations, and sort of broke out on his own to go and teach people the secrets of what big brands know. And that's actually his business, is teaching people what big brands know. We are joined today by Jerry O'Brien, and Jerry is one of the hottest up-and-coming speakers out there on the corporate convention circuit. I mean, he is out there doing really great things for some really amazing associations and corporations and really inspiring their audiences. So I'm really happy to bring Jerry onto the show because as he shares his story, I think it's going to inspire a lot of the listeners that they too can really make some things happen. So Jerry, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. You have been working for yourself for a couple of years now. Take a minute and sort of share with the audience what you did before and and what your business is all about now. Well, I climbed the corporate ladder like a lot of people do. I graduated from business school at the University of Michigan, uh, go blue, and uh, started my marketing career at Procter & Gamble and do what corporate people do when you get on the corporate ladder. I started climbing the corporate ladder, figuring out what's the next position, how do I get promoted, how do I make my boss like me, how do I do productive work, and uh, went from Procter & Gamble and became ultimately the brand manager of the Coors Light brand uh, out in Golden, Colorado, and worked for a bunch of years doing TV advertising, trying to get people to buy more beer. And I, then I, wait a minute, wait to, a minute. I think that I bought more Coors Light because of you. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. You know, I worked on stuff that your the listeners have probably seen, things like the can with the blue liner and the bottle that turns blue when it's cold enough to drink, and all sorts of techniques that we use to get people to want to buy more of our stuff. Um, things that I teach audiences now on how to get, if you're a solopreneur, entrepreneur, privately held company, how to get people to want to buy more of your stuff, whether it's speaking services, consulting, or your product that you're making. Ultimately, I went on to become the VP of marketing for Quiznos and then the VP of marketing for Red Robin. And uh, about uh, four years ago, left corporate America and decided or, or really thought about the things that we were doing in corporate America there was things that we were doing that anybody can do, even if they don't have a big budget. And I set out to help solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, business owners, small privately held companies figure out the things that we were doing that they could do too, even if they don't have the $100 million marketing budgets that we we have. And, And that's how I started my career is realizing that there was stuff that we were doing that anybody can leverage. 
Well, and I love the fact that, you know, your tagline is what big brands know. And so what are some of the things just off the top that big brands know that maybe some of the listeners here haven't really thought about? What are some of those billion dollar ideas that anyone can do? One of the biggest differences between billion dollar brands and a lot of smaller independently held companies is that they spend an inordinate amount of time listening to their customers learning from their customers and navigating their business based on what they learn and and what they hear. You know, I do a lot of work in the restaurant space now and restaurant owners hate Yelp, but as consumers, we all love Yelp because it gives us information that we want to know before we plunk down our dollars or make a reservation or go in and try out a new place. We want to know what everybody else thinks. Well, the reality for restaurant owners is that they should be excited that things like Yelp exist because it allows you to get feedback every day, day in and day out from your customers that's so valuable. And when something goes wrong or one of your employees doesn't um, live up to the standards you want in your restaurant, you find out right away because your guests will tell you. And it helps you listen, navigate your business. And if it's used correctly, listening can help you become stronger and better day in and day out, whether you're a restaurant or you're a consultant or whether you're a product manufacturer, there's more ways than ever for us to be able to efficiently, inexpensively get feedback from our customers that helps us navigate uh, our business. And so that's one thing that, you know, places like Procter & Gamble, everything we ever did went in front of focus groups, surveys, one-on-one interviews, you name it. We knew Um, every insight that there was to know before that product ever hit the streets. And now every company, no matter how small you are or how small your budget is, has the ability to listen and learn and change what they're doing to be more in line with what customers are looking for. So that's that's one big thing that, that we can do today very differently than we were ever able to do 10 years ago. And you know, Jerry, that's actually really good advice because I work with a lot of attorneys and they really don't want to ask the hard questions because I believe they don't want to hear the bad stuff. But, you know, even in my own business, I mean, most people really, you know, fortunately like me, but every now and then, you know, I'll rub somebody the wrong way. And either it's somebody in the audience doesn't like my message or maybe it's, you know, a client who, who wasn't really sure if I was exactly the right thing. And it's the greatest thing ever when someone gives me feedback because then I can go fix it. I think so many times, you know, small or small businesses and, and solopreneurs, we stick our head in the sand and we just, you know, hope that everybody's really happy. But if we don't have that negative feedback, if we don't have somebody saying, whoa, 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 I don't really like that, then we never can make the tweak. That's why I'm always asking people, even on this podcast, you know, please send me an email or tweet me about what you like like about the show, but also areas where we can improve the show, because the more I can improve and take that type of feedback, the more they're going to come back and listen to the next episode, or the more someone from a conference is going to hire me to speak at the next one. So I think that's really good advice. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. The reason that we don't ask for it is because we're scared to hear the answer. But the reality is, is hearing that tough answer sometimes can help change everything that you do in your business. And especially, I would say, for small business owners and and entrepreneurs, one of the biggest, most important things is listening to what your customers want and creating new things based on what they're looking for. We have one of the big advantages of being a, a smaller business or an entrepreneur is that we have a much better ability to change quickly than big companies do. And a lot, a huge percentage of my business has been built on 
customers coming to me and saying, hey, we, we like what you did there, but what if you did this instead? And I've created whole brand new keynote addresses and product lines just based on feedback from, from my customers. And then they buy the stuff. They say, here, if you had this, I would buy this. And then they buy it. I make it and they buy it. So um, that, that feedback and the ability to navigate quickly is a big advantage for entrepreneurs and small business owners. So you made the jump from being a big company guy to essentially being a solopreneur, being a consultant and a speaker. What, what led you to do that? Well, you know, that's a good question. And, and I wonder if uh, a bunch of people in your audience have had this experience. You know, I was going to work day in and day out trying to climb the corporate ladder. Like I said, and I was making my way up the corporate ladder. I was making advancements and, and, you know, getting up there and getting close to the top of the ladder. And, you know, one day I sort of look out from close to the top of this ladder and I was like, man, I, what am I doing? I think I might have climbed up the wrong ladder. <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes we look out and say, man, how did I get here? Um, but what I realized was that things that we were doing were applicable to lots and lots of different people. And that excited me. But the reason I ultimately got off the ladder is that I learned when I was at my best. And I was at my best when I was in front of audiences, when I was teaching, when I was coaching, when I was helping people be at their best. And only a relatively small percentage of the time that you spend as a marketing executive is spent helping people be at their best. And when I really realized that that's where my passion area was and where my talent and my skill was, it became a lot more clear to me what should I do next. And that's how I really became a professional speaker because now I spend a huge percentage of my time doing the things that I'm the most passionate about, that my skills are most aligned to. And I've eliminated a lot of the things that I just wasn't that good at or that I didn't like or I didn't enjoy. And so that's really where it came from. So now that you have this life for the last few few years, what do you like best about it? Well, the thing I like best actually is having the time to do the things that I love the most. I've created brand new keynotes, workbooks, products, things that people use, and they get value from them. They come back to me and say, oh, will you come back and do that presentation for a different group or a new group? Or, you know, I used your workbook and I got through it and it made a huge difference. And it's crazy to me because I sit there, you know, myself and I say, wow, I made that stuff up and it's a really remarkable, rewarding feeling when you can kind of create something out of your head into reality and then it makes a difference in someone else's life. It's like, wow, I had that inside me. Who knew? <laughs> and it, it's that is just it's cool. And what's another great thing, you know, being an entrepreneur and creating products, you know, our products as speakers or keynote addresses and things like that. You create it, then it exists. It continues to you know, exist in the world and you can create new things. You can use the ones that you've already created. Like you can keep bringing that value over and over again to a larger and larger audience. So I've really enjoyed that, that process of making intellectual property and then the reward of having you know, people find value in it for sure. So is there anything about working for yourself you don't like? Do you ever wake up sometimes and think, boy, Procter & Gamble would look really good about now? <laughs> well, actually, I never think that. <laughs> um, but because um, corporate America just wasn't a great fit for me. I, I did well there. 
but I didn't enjoy what it took to do well there. And I, as I've talked to a lot of sort of corporate folks, they can relate to the things that aren't aren't that attractive about corporate America, the politics and the things that you have to kind of do to get ahead and all the meetings and the unproductive time and, and all those things. So I don't miss corporate America, but what I, what I will tell you is that the things that are a challenge for me about being a solopreneur, number one, the uncertainty. I do not deal well with uncertainty at all. <laughs> and there is a lot of it when you work for yourself. There's a lot, especially in the first couple of years. You just, you don't know. You have no idea if you're going to make a sustainable business or not. You keep moving forward as if, as if this is going to be a sustainable business because it's the only option you have because the other option is go back and get a corporate job. And I actually wrote a blog post a while back about the difference between your comfort zone and your commitment zone. And the time at which we make great changes in our lives, becoming an entrepreneur or, or, or changing careers or whatever that thing is for you as an individual, the time at which we do that is the time at which it's more important for us to have a different outcome. Our commitment to something different is more important than our commitment to comfort. And there's nothing comfortable about <laughs> quitting your fancy, fat, corporate executive job and becoming an entrepreneur. But if you're committed to it, you're willing to have that uncomfortable uncertainty, even if you hate it as much as I do. I'm not a big um, fan of living in an uncertain you know, situation or, or, or whatnot. Um, and the other thing is, it's, I think it's a lot harder work than people anticipate. When you're in the corporate job, you feel like, oh, if I could just get out of this corporate job, if I could get out from under this boss, if I could stop with all these crazy meetings, if I could get out of this pol the politics, oh, I just want to work for myself. And then when you do it, you realize how hard it actually is. <laughs> and, it, uh, you know, so you, do I say I don't like the hard work? I just wish there was a little less of it. <laughs> well, I, I always talk to people and, and I say, you know, some people who've worked for themselves, I've been doing this almost six years, and people say, you know, oh, I could never work for anybody else. And I always chuckle and say, boy, if I ever went back to work for a company, I would be the best employee ever. <laughs> Because I now have learned what it is to be the boss, what it is to the, the, the weight you carry on your shoulder. Even though I don't have employees and, and, and stuff, I still have all this responsibility because I support my family with my business. And so now it's like I think I would just go in and like hug my boss every day uh, when I left the office and say thank you for sh you know sh taking on the burden of all that stuff. But you bring up a really interesting point because you said that you know there came a point where you looked around and said – I don't really think that this is where I'm supposed to be working in corporate America. And I believe many people who listen to this show, I mean, if you tune into a show called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, my guess is you're either out there, you know, fighting the good fight as an entrepreneur every day, or maybe you're that person like you were or like I was who was working inside a company thinking, mm, I just have this calling to go out there. So what advice do you have for that person who feels they're a misfit in corporate America, but they're scared of the uncertainty? What, what would you tell them to do? Well, the by far, as you look at people who leave and start their own thing, and I, I always tell this to people and people laugh, the number one thing you have to do when you quit your job and you want to work for yourself or start your own company is you have to find someone to pay you. <laughs> 
which seems funny, but it makes it no less true. You've got to find someone who's willing to give you money for what you've got, whatever that might be, whether, you know, in my case, it's a keynote address, or if it's a product that you want to create as an entrepreneur, it's a consulting service you might want to create. You've got to find a client. And the, the most successful people figure out who that first client, who those first dollars are going to come from before they leave corporate America, at least maybe not necessarily the most successful people, but the people that have the easiest transition. I hear it over and over. Oh, how did you get? I ask people, how did you get started? Oh, well, I had this client and, you know, they said, well, what if you just worked for yourself? And then I transitioned and they seem to have this very easy time of it. I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I ne left, neither did I. <laughs> yeah. I left corporate America and the next day I made zero said, hmm, I really need to find someone to pay me for this speaking thing. And, you know, when you do that, it takes some time. It took me a couple of years to really get up and running. And during that time, you've got to be extraordinarily clear on your commitment and why you're doing it and why it's important. But also, you know, people say, oh, I put it out there. I put it on my dream board or whatever, and it's just going to come true. It's like, no, no, no. Actually, <laughs> you need to have a really good plan of attack. You need to have something valuable that people will want. You need to work your network. I mean, it's straight up hard work. Things don't just show up and happen for most of us. You really got to have a good plan of attack. And in fact, you mentioned that, you know, I do some work in, in goal setting, and one of the presentations that I've created over the past few years is a presentation about how to achieve more and accomplish more in your life and in your business. Because for people who do what we do, it's so critical to not just have a dream, but to have an actual plan of attack that gets you from point A to point B, because it can be so distracting when you have to do everything you're like, which is the thing that I should do next? How do I navigate my way to success? And so um, I do some work in that space now, helping people navigate and be more effective, more quickly, um, getting to where they want to go. Well, and you bring up the goal setting thing, and, and this uh, episode of Cool Things is going to be released right before New Year's, a couple days before New Year's 2014 to 2015. Now, some people might listen to this two and three years later, but let's talk to the people who are tuning in in late December, early January, who really feel like this is my year, I, I need to accomplish more. What are some of the things, I mean, goal setting gets kind of a bad idea. People make fun of New Year's resolutions, and I talk to people all the time because I also coach people on setting their goals and making them realistic. People all the time go, you know, they kind of roll their eyes and they're like, oh, that goal setting stuff never works. I wouldn't be in business if I hadn't set goals. I, I just found my goals from 2012 and I accomplished all of them. Now, I didn't accomplish all of them in 2012. Some of them happened in 2013 and 2014, but I had them all written down and I had sort of a plan or a path of what I needed to do to get there. They, they weren't all as quick as I had hoped, but everything I had wanted to do came true. And so I really believe if you spell out that path and then take actions, you're going to be better off, you know, in achieving these goals than if you just wait for the world to happen around you. Absolutely. I, I love what you just said. Oh, I pulled out this list of things. Here's the key phrase I had written down in 2012. And, um, so can I just give you a couple of minutes of what I've learned about goal setting over the last couple of years? Please go for it. Everybody, we're, we're all waiting to hear what you have to say. 
So here, here's, and I'll tell you one of the key, key reasons why people don't achieve their goals. Let me walk you through this little short process and I'll show you, I'll tell you exactly where people fail in this process. So all of you out there may have heard there, there was this study that people talk about from Yale or Harvard Business School or whatever. And it was some study that basically said, oh, only 3% of the class wrote down their goals. But then when we went back and tracked those people 20 years later, you know, the 3% who had written down their goals were like 10 times more successful than all the other people. Well, it turns out that study was a mythical study. It That's never right. actually existed. It never happened. a good story, right? You know, sometimes speakers say, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually what wasn't true. But what happened was, a few years ago, there's a professor at Dominican University in California named Gail Matthews, who's uncovered that's, listen, this study actually never happened. It's a myth. I'm going to do this study. Oh, this so is So she great. actually did it. Wow. And yeah, it's pretty cool. And you can, you know, just Google Gail Matthews and her study will pop up and whatnot. But one of the things that's interesting is 80% of the people in the United States don't have a goal, much less of one that's written down. They don't even have a goal. They don't have anything they're shooting for. They just live by whatever shows up. So if you have a goal that you're trying to shoot for, you're ahead of 80% of the people already. Well, and then what you just said, I wrote my goal down. Of the 80% of people, or of the 20% of people who do have a goal, 80% of those don't write their goal down. And all you need is a pen and a piece of paper. I mean, write it down. So that means 4% of the people have, have a goal and have written it down. So you're 96% ahead of everyone if you just write your goals down. <laughs> and I've been writing my goals down since I was 25 years old. Every year between Christmas and New Year's, I sit down and I write out at least three things I want to accomplish. One for my business, one for my family, and one I call it for my soul. Something, you know, I want to read more, I want to get educated, I want to just feel better, I want to, I want to give back. So I have a, a business goal, a family goal, and a soul goal. And you know, I haven't achieved every one I've ever written down, but oftentimes people say, you know, oh, you've been so successful. There's no way I could have done it if I didn't have my focus because of writing them down. Yep, absolutely. And here's what her study, here's what Gail Matthews' study found out. If you write your goals down versus if you don't write them down, you're 42% more likely to achieve your goals. So it's true. It's real. It actually works. And here's where I believe you probably are going the extra mile. And here's where a lot of people fail is the next step after you write your goals down. You have to tell other people your goals. You got you to write them down and show them to a bunch of other people and say, this is what I'm going to do this year or this month or this week or whatever the thing is that you're trying to accomplish. And we don't do that because we don't want to be held accountable. We're afraid to tell other people because what if our goals don't come true? What if we don't achieve them? So the reason that we don't achieve our goals is because we're not willing to be uncomfortable. Remember what we were talking about, about being uncomfortable? We're uncomfortable sharing our goals with other people. And the problem with that is that because we don't share our goals with other people, we're less likely to achieve them because we're not willing to take that risk of putting our stuff out into the world. And what Professor Matthews found is that if you write your goals down and then you tell other people, you're 50% more likely to achieve them than if you don't write them down at all. And then if you wanna really, really maximize it, when you tell that person what your goals are, 
you need to take one small extra step that makes us really uncomfortable, which is you need to get them to commit to follow up with you and make sure you did it. And if you write them down and you tell other people and then you have someone follow up and hold you accountable on a specific date, you're going to call me in a month and you're going to ask me, did you actually do that thing? And you got to have someone that actually you believe is going to f- call you up. You're 78 per, per, you're 78 percent more likely to achieve your goal if you write it down, tell someone, and you know they're going to follow up with you. And this is simple stuff, Tom, that we all know, but we don't do it because it makes us uncomfortable. And I mean, if we do nothing other than write our stuff down, tell other people, and have someone hold us accountable at the end of this year, 2015 will be potentially a very, very different year for us. And I've, was, and I've always been one who's been excited about goals, but throughout my time, even some of my like business friends who are out there trying to achieve, they don't want to talk about it. They want to keep their goals private, or I don't think they write them down. I mean, I've found the other step is I don't only write them down, I carry them with me in my wallet. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a friend who laminates his and puts them in his shower so that he can't not read them. That's a double negative, but he read then therefore he reads them every single day. And the more that your goal is in front of you, the the more it, it sort of happens, right? That's 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 great. I don't want to look at my goals in my shower. I want to you know be creative and create <laughs> new plans and ideas in my shower. My goals make me overwhelmed. I gotta like sit down at my desk before I can look at my goals. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I Looking like to have I like to have clothes on when I think about my goals. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So there's two final steps that I would throw out there to the to the listeners. So you're going to have a goal. You're going to write it down. You're going to tell others. You're going to hold yourself accountable through having them follow up with you. But there's two other critical parts. And, you know, I talk to a lot of groups of independent business owners as a speaker. And sometimes I'll ask them, how many of you have a business plan? You know, and half the room will raise their hand. Oh, I have a business plan. And then I'll ask them, how many of you, you know, have looked at your business plan in the last two years? You know, most of the hands go down because they needed to have a business plan to get their bank loan. It's the only reason they ever wrote it, but they never did anything with it. So step five of the process is actually make a plan. It's fine to have your goals and write them down and tell people, but you got to have a plan of attack. What are the actual activities you're going to take And when are you going to take them? Because that gives you a roadmap to navigate. And people underestimate how important it is to have a plan of attack and and hold yourself to it. And the, the sixth thing, the final part of the process is track your results. Figure out, well, how did you do when you did all those things in your plan? Which things should you kill and not be doing? And which things should you be doing more of to get where you need to go? Because the difference in business today versus 10 or 20 years ago is that it used to be business success came from becoming more and more efficient at what you do. Today, I believe business success comes from navigating to where your customers need you to go next. It's not about becoming faster and faster at doing the same thing. It's becoming more adept at navigating to where you need to go. And and we all have to become adept at listening, learning, navigating in our businesses over and over and over and optimizing our plan based on new input and feedback. And I think one of the things that you mentioned there is really important for people to understand, and that is, you know, you said, you know, 
be reviewing them and then what what should you do more of and, and what parts of your goals should you kill you know sometimes i'll set a goal and partway through the year i'll realize my ladder's against the wrong wall there's nothing wrong with saying i'm crossing that goal out and i think you were talking in the beginning that people don't want to set goals because oh what if i fail well you know what what if you change your mind it's totally okay to go back and say you know i'm gonna i'm gonna find a you know another way to to do this i'm gonna i'm gonna block that out if you will and and not pursue it anymore so setting a goal doesn't mean you have to continue after it forever but if you don't have it as a plan and you don't have a way to follow up you may never even do anything absolutely absolutely and uh you know our goal as business owners is to do more of what works and less of what doesn't that's it well, and Jerry, I know that you're part of a couple of mastermind groups and full disclosure, Jerry and I belong to a mastermind group with five professional speakers who are all out there trying to grow our businesses and finding new ways to do things. And we meet in person twice a year for a couple of days where we, you know, kind of act as a informal board of directors to each other. We open up our, our businesses and talk about what we're doing, but then also we meet via Skype uh, or Google Hangout, you know, every month and just sort of touch in and talk about where we are. And then I know that you also have a local group of people who you mastermind ideas with. Do you think like having a formal mastermind group or some people join Vistage or EO or Young Presidents Organization, do you think having like a, a forum or, or a mastermind group is helpful in achieving your goals? It, it's critical because in just the act of putting yourself in a group of people where you commit to meet once a month or whatever your time frame is and get together live, you know, a couple times a year or, or however you do it, spend a day together. Just by the act of doing that, you basically go through all the things that help people be more effective at accomplishing their goals. You write stuff down. You tell the other people what you want to do. They hold you to it. You got a plan of attack. You know, all those things by the nature of being in a mastermind group, get done. And, you know, it is so critical, so valuable. You know, I've personally experienced things where you're in that group, you're talking your way through, like, what are are your struggles? What are your challenges in your business? And just by the act of talking through it, sometimes the answers become obvious. And then all of a sudden your team holds you to it and says, by next time we meet, you better have this done because this is going to make a big difference in your business. And lo and behold, you get after it. I hate accountability. I hate it. I hate it. I am not an accountability guy, but God darn if it doesn't work and if it hasn't made a big difference in my business, even though I don't really like it. You know, so, and so it, I, I really do believe that this mastermind idea is, is, is super powerful. So let's let's sort of wrap up the whole idea with like a little piece of advice. If somebody has not been a goal setter and they're listening to this thinking, OK, I'm listening to these two guys. They feel that every year their business is growing. They're accomplishing more. They're giving credit to their mastermind group or their goal setting. What nugget do you have to kind of push somebody over the edge to take action? Uh, literally, a thing that, that you should do is take out your pen right now, find a piece of paper, and just bring, you don't have to create your goals list. Brainstorm a whole bunch of things that would make your life or your business better and different. If I could only, right, you know, start out the list by saying, if I could only, colon, now write down everything that floods into your head and write it all down and then take another look at it set it aside for a day or a week and come back and look at it, what stands out to you? 
things become clear when we put pen to paper because it forces us to get it out of that sort of jumbled mess of our brain where we're thinking about 16 things at once and you put it on paper and it becomes real and clarified for you in the real world. And it will literally, you will write down 10, 15, 20 thoughts off the top of your head in the next five minutes. Just try it and you'll be fascinated to see what comes out of your brain and what can become something that's important for 2015 for you. So, Jerry, one of the things I like to ask everybody who comes on the show is about what else they see out there. Because we could talk about Jerry O'Brien and the amazing things you're doing for clients. And like I said, these killer keynotes that you're doing that's putting you in such demand all over the country right now. And and that's exciting and it's fun because we're friends to see you having this much success. But it can't just all be about Jerry. I think the best entrepreneurs are observers. So who else do you see out there? It can be from any industry. It doesn't have to be from your own. It could be your dry cleaner. It could be the person who runs your local you know, car dealership. Who do you see out there who's doing something where you say, that person's really killing it? That's good. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I'm really excited. We're wrapping up 2014, and 2014 has been a very good year. I, I feel very fortunate for so many things, but one of the things I feel real fortunate about is this podcast and the audience that tunes in and listens, the guests that I've had on the show. And I'm really excited because as I get ready for the new year, one of the things I typically do is sit down and try and map out some goals that I have for what I want to accomplish in you know 2015 in this case. And I've been working a lot on really having some really good target goals that I can achieve this year and help move my whole business forward. And today we're going to talk with an entrepreneur who is really an expert on goal setting and also somebody who worked for big brands, big corporations, and sort of broke out on his own to go and teach people the secrets of what big brands know. And that's actually his business, is teaching people what big brands know. We are joined today by Jerry O'Brien, and Jerry is one of the hottest up-and-coming speakers out there on the corporate convention circuit. I mean, he is out there doing really great things for some really amazing associations and corporations and really inspiring their audiences. So I'm really happy to bring Jerry onto the show because as he shares his story, I think it's going to inspire a lot of the listeners that they too can really make some things happen. So Jerry, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. You have been working for yourself for a couple of years now. Take a minute and sort of share with the audience what you did before and, and what your business is all about now. Well, I climbed the corporate ladder like a lot of people do. I graduated from business school at the University of Michigan, uh, Go Blue, and uh, started my marketing career at Procter & Gamble and do what corporate people do when you get on the corporate ladder. I started climbing the corporate ladder, figuring out what's the next position, how do I get promoted, how do I make my boss like me, how do I do productive work, and uh, went from Procter & Gamble and became ultimately the brand manager of the Coors Light brand uh, out in Golden, Colorado, and worked for a bunch of years doing 
TV advertising, trying to get people to buy more beer. And I, then I, wait a minute, wait to, a minute. I think that I bought more Coors Light because of you. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. You know, I worked on stuff that your the listeners have probably seen, things like the can with the blue liner and the bottle that turns blue when it's cold enough to drink and all sorts of techniques that we use to get people to want to buy more of our stuff. Um, things that I teach audiences now on how to get, if you're a solopreneur, entrepreneur, privately held company, how to get people to want to buy more of your stuff, whether it's speaking services, consulting, or your product that you're making. Ultimately, I went on to become the VP of marketing for Quiznos and then the VP of marketing for Red Robin. And uh, about uh, four years ago, left corporate America and decided or, or really thought about the things that we were doing in corporate America. There was things that we were doing that anybody can do, even if they don't have a big budget. And I set out to help solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, business owners, small privately held companies figure out the things that we were doing that they could do too, even if they don't have the $100 million marketing budgets that we we have. And, And that's how I started my career is realizing that there was stuff that we were doing that anybody can leverage. Well, and I love the fact that, you know, your tagline is what big brands know. And so what are some of the things just off the top that big brands know that maybe some of the listeners here haven't really thought about? What are some of those billion dollar ideas that anyone can do? One of the biggest differences between billion dollar brands and a lot of smaller independently held companies is that they spend an inordinate amount of time listening to their customers learning from their customers and navigating their business based on what they learn and and what they hear. You know, I do a lot of work in the restaurant space now and restaurant owners hate Yelp. But as consumers, we all love Yelp because it gives us information that we want to know before we plunk down our dollars or make a reservation or go in and try out a new place. We want to know what everybody else thinks. Well, the reality for restaurant owners is that they should be excited that things like Yelp exist because it allows you to get feedback every day, day in and day out from your customers that's so valuable. And when something goes wrong or one of your employees doesn't um, live up to the standards you want in your restaurant, you find out right away because your guests will tell you. And it helps you listen, navigate your business. And if it's used correctly, listening can help you become stronger and better day in and day out, whether you're a restaurant or you're a consultant or whether you're a product manufacturer, there's more ways than ever for us to be able to efficiently, inexpensively get feedback from our customers that helps us navigate uh, our business. And so that's one thing that, you know, places like Procter & Gamble, everything we ever did went in front of focus groups, surveys, one-on-one interviews, you name it. We knew Um, every insight that there was to know before that product ever hit the streets. And now every company, no matter how small you are or how small your budget is, has the ability to listen and learn and change what they're doing to be more in line with what customers are looking for. So that's that's one big thing that, that we can do today very differently than we were ever able to do 10 years ago. And you know, Jerry, that's actually really good advice because I work with a lot of attorneys and they really don't want to ask the hard questions because I believe they don't want to hear the bad stuff. But, you know, even in my own business, I mean, most people really, you know, fortunately like me. But every now and then, 
you know, I'll rub somebody the wrong way. And either it's somebody in the audience doesn't like my message or maybe it's, you know, a client who, who wasn't really sure if I was exactly the right thing. And it's the greatest thing ever when someone gives me feedback because then I can go fix it. I think so many times, you know, small or small businesses and, and solopreneurs, we stick our head in the sand and we just, you know, hope that everybody's really happy. But if we don't have that negative feedback, if we don't have somebody saying, whoa, 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 I don't really like that, then we never can make the tweak. That's why I'm always asking people, even on this podcast, you know, please send me an email or tweet me about what you like about the show, but also areas where we can improve the show. Because the more I can improve and take that type of feedback, the more they're going to come back and listen to the next episode, or the more someone from a conference is going to hire me to speak at the next one. So I think that's really good advice. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The reason that we don't ask for it is because we're scared to hear the answer. But the reality is, is hearing that tough answer sometimes can help change everything that you do in your business. And especially, I would say, for small business owners and, and entrepreneurs, one of the biggest, most important things is listening to what your customers want and creating new things based on what they're looking for. We have one of the big advantages of being a, a smaller business or an entrepreneur is that we have a much better ability to change quickly than big companies do. And a lot, a huge percentage of my business has been built on customers coming to me and saying, hey, we, we like what you did there, but what if you did this instead? And I've created whole brand new keynote addresses and product lines just based on feedback from, from my customers. And then they buy the stuff. They say, here, if you had this, I would buy this. And then they buy it. I make it and they buy it. So um, that that feedback and the ability to navigate quickly is a big advantage for entrepreneurs and small business owners. So you made the jump from being a big company guy to essentially being a solopreneur, being a consultant and a speaker. What what led you to do that? Well, you know, that's a good question. And, and I wonder if a bunch of people in your audience have had this experience. You know, I was going to work day in and day out trying to climb the corporate ladder. Like I said, and I was making my way up the corporate ladder. I was making advancements and, and, you know, getting up there and getting close to the top of the ladder. And, you know, one day I sort of look out from close to the top of this ladder and I was like, man, what am I doing? I think I might have climbed up the wrong ladder. <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes we look out and say, man, how did I get here? Um, but what I realized was that things that we were doing were applicable to lots and lots of different people. And that excited me. But the reason I ultimately got off the ladder is that I learned when I was at my best. And I was at my best when I was in front of audiences, when I was teaching, when I was coaching, when I was helping people be at their best. And only a relatively small percentage of the time that you spend as a marketing executive is spent helping people be at their best. And when I really realized that that's where my passion area was and where my talent and my skill was, it became a lot more clear to me, what should I do next? And that's how I really became a professional speaker, because now I spend a huge percentage of my time doing the things that I'm the most passionate about, that my skills are most aligned to. And I've eliminated a lot of the things that I just wasn't that good at or that I didn't like or I didn't enjoy. And so that's really where it came from. So now that you have this life for the last few few years, what do you like best about it? Well, the thing I like best actually is having the time to do the things that I love the most. I've created brand new keynotes, workbooks, 
products, things that people use, and they get value from them. They come back to me and say, oh, will you come back and do that presentation for a different group or a new group? Or, you know, I used your workbook and I got through it and it made a huge difference. And it's crazy to me because I sit there, you know, myself and I say, wow, I made that stuff up. And (laughs) it's a really remarkable, rewarding feeling when you can kind of create something out of your head into reality and then it makes a difference in someone else's life. It's like, wow, I had that inside me. Who knew? (laughs) And it's, that is just, it's cool. And what's another great thing, you know, being an entrepreneur and creating products, you know, our products as speakers or keynote addresses and things like that, you create it, then it exists. It continues to, you know, exist in the world and you can create new things. You can use the ones that you've already created. Like you can keep bringing that value over and over again to a larger and larger audience. So I've really enjoyed that, that process of making intellectual property and then the reward of having, you know, people find value in it for sure. So is there anything about working for yourself you don't like? Do you ever wake up sometimes and think, boy, Procter & Gamble would look really good about now? (laughs) <laughs> well, actually, I never think that, <laughs> um, but because um, corporate America just wasn't a great fit for me. I, I did well there, but I didn't enjoy what it took to do well there. And I, as I've talked to a lot of sort of corporate folks, they can relate to the things that aren't aren't that attractive about corporate America, the politics and the things that you have to kind of do to get ahead and all the meetings and the unproductive time and, and all those things. So I don't miss corporate America, but what I, what I will tell you is that the things that are a challenge for me about being a solopreneur, number one, the uncertainty. I do not deal well with uncertainty at all. <laughs> and there is a lot of it when you work for yourself. There's a lot, especially in the first couple of years. You just, you don't know. You have no idea if you're going to make a sustainable business or not. You keep moving forward as if, as if this is going to be a sustainable business because it's the only option you have because the other option is go back and get a corporate job. And I actually wrote a blog post a while back about the difference between your comfort zone and your commitment zone. And the time at which we make great changes in our lives, becoming an entrepreneur or or changing careers or whatever that thing is for you as an individual, the time at which we do that is the time at which it's more important for us to have a different outcome. Our commitment to something different is more important than our commitment to comfort. there's nothing comfortable about <laughs> quitting your fancy, fat, corporate executive job and becoming an entrepreneur. But if you're committed to it, you're willing to have that uncomfortable uncertainty, even if you hate it as much as I do. I'm not a big um, fan of living in an uncertain you know, situation or, or, or whatnot. Um, and the other thing is, it's, I think it's a lot harder work than people anticipate. When you're in the corporate job, you feel like, oh, if I could just get out of this corporate job, if I could get out from under this boss, if I could stop with all these crazy meetings, if I could get out of this pol- the politics, oh, I just want to work for myself. And then when you do it, you realize how hard it actually is. <laughs> and, it, uh, you know, 
so you, do I say I don't like the hard work? I just wish there was a little less of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I always talk to people and, and I say, you know, some people who've worked for themselves, I've been doing this almost six years, and people say, you know, oh, I could never work for anybody else. And I always chuckle and say, boy, if I ever went back to work for a company, I would be the best employee ever <laughs> because I now have learned what it is to be the boss, what it is to the, the, the weight you carry on your shoulder. Even though I don't have employees and, and, and stuff, I still have all this responsibility because I support my family with my business. And so now it's like, I think I would just go in and like hug my boss every day uh, when I left the office and say, thank you for, you know, taking on the burden of all that stuff. But you bring up a really interesting point because you said that, you know, there came a point where you looked around and said, I don't really think that this is where I'm supposed to be working in corporate America. And I believe many people who listen to this show, I mean, if you tune into a show called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, my guess is you're either out there, you know, fighting the good fight as an entrepreneur every day, or maybe you're that person like you were or like I was who was working inside a company thinking, mm, I just have this calling to go out there. So what advice do you have for that person who feels they're a misfit in corporate America, but they're scared of the uncertainty? What, what would you tell them to do? Well, the by far, as you look at people who leave and start their own thing, and I, I always tell this to people and people laugh, the number one thing you have to do when you quit your job and you want to work for yourself or start your own company is you have to find someone to pay you, <laughs> which seems funny, but it makes it no less true. You've got to find someone who's willing to give you money for what you've got, whatever that might be, whether, you know, in my case, it's a keynote address, or if it's a product that you want to create as an entrepreneur, it's a consulting service you might want to create, you got to find a client. And the, the most successful people figure out who that first client, who those first dollars are going to come from before they leave corporate America, at least maybe not necessarily the most successful people, but the people that have the easiest transition. I hear it over and over. Oh, how did you get? I ask people, how did you get started? Oh, well, I had this client and, you know, they said, well, what if you just worked for yourself? And then I transitioned and they seem to have this very easy time of it. I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I ne left, neither did I. <laughs> yeah. I left corporate America and the next day I made zero said, hmm, I really need to find someone to pay me for this speaking thing. And, you know, when you do that, it takes some time. It took me a couple of years to really get up and running. And during that time, you've got to be extraordinarily clear on your commitment and why you're doing it and why it's important. But also, you know, people say, oh, I put it out there. I put it on my dream board or whatever, and it's just going to come true. It's like, no, no, no. Actually, <laughs> you need to have a really good plan of attack. You need to have something valuable that people will want. You need to work your network. I mean, it's straight up hard work. Things don't just show up and happen for most of us. You really got to have a good plan of attack. And in fact, you mentioned that, you know, I do some work in, in goal setting and one of the presentations that I've created over the past few years is a presentation about how to achieve more and accomplish more in your life and in your business. Because for people who do what we do, it's so critical to not just have a dream, but to have an actual plan of attack that gets you from point A to point B, because it can be so distracting when you have to do everything 
you're like, which is the thing that I should do next? How do I navigate my way to success? And so um, I do some work in that space now helping people navigate and be more effective more quickly I'm getting to where they want to go well and you bring up the goal setting thing and and this uh, episode of cool things is going to be released right before New Year's a couple days before New Year's 2014 to 2015 now some people might listen to this two and three years later but let's talk to the people who are tuning in in late December early January who really feel like this is my year I, I need to accomplish more what are some of the things I mean goal setting gets kind of a bad idea people make fun of New Year's resolutions and I talk to people all the time because I also coach people on setting their goals and making them realistic people all the time go you know they kind of roll their eyes and they're like oh that goal setting stuff never works i wouldn't be in business if i hadn't set goals i i just found my goals from 2012 and i accomplished all of them now i didn't accomplish all of them in 2012 some of them happened in 2013 and 2014 but i had them all written down and i had sort of a plan or a path of what i needed to do to get there they they weren't all as quick as i had hoped but everything i had wanted to do came true. And so I really believe if you spell out that path and then take actions, you're going to be better off, you know, in achieving these goals than if you just wait for the world to happen around you. Absolutely. I, I love what you just said. Oh, I pulled out this list of things. Here's the key phrase I had written down in 2012. And, um, so can I just give you a, a couple of minutes of what I've learned about goal setting over the last couple of years? Please go for it. Everybody, we're, we're all waiting to hear what you have to say. So here, here's, and, and I'll tell you ex one of the key, key reasons why people don't achieve their goals. Let me walk you through this little short process and I'll show you, I'll tell you exactly where people fail in this process. So uh, all of you out there may have heard there, there was this study that people talk about from Yale or Harvard Business School or whatever. And they, it was some study that basically said, oh, only 3% of the class wrote down their goals. But then when we went back and tracked those people 20 years later, you know, the 3% who had written down their goals were like 10 times more successful than all the other people. Well, it turns out that study was a mythical study. It <laughs> never right. actually existed. It never it's a happened. a story, right? You know, sometimes speakers say, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually what wasn't true. But what happened was a few years ago, there was a professor at Dominican University in California named Gail Matthews, who's uncovered that's listen, this study actually never happened. It's a myth. I'm going to do this study. Oh, this so is she great. actually did it. Wow. And yeah, it's pretty cool. And you can, you know, just Google Gail Matthews and you, her study will pop up and whatnot. But one of the things that's interesting is 80% of the people in the United States don't have a goal, much less of one that's written down. They don't have a goal. They don't have anything they're shooting for. They just live by whatever shows up. So if you have a goal that you're trying to shoot for, you're ahead of 80% of the people already. Well, and then what you just said, I wrote my goal down. Of the 80% of people or of the 20% of people who do have a goal, 80% of those don't write their goal down. And all you need is a pen and a piece of paper. I mean, write it down. So that means 4% of the people have, have a goal and have written it down. So you're 96% ahead of everyone if you just write your goals down. <laughs> and I've been writing my goals down since I was 25 years old. Every year between Christmas and New Year's, I sit down and I write out at least 
three things I want to accomplish. One for my business, one for my family, and one I call it for my soul. Something, you know, I want to read more. I want to get educated. I want to just feel better. I want to, I want to give back. So I have a, a business goal, a family goal, and a soul goal. And, you know, I haven't achieved every one I've ever written down, but oftentimes people say, you know, oh, you've been so successful. There's no way I could have done it if I didn't have my focus because of writing them down. Yep. Absolutely. And here's what the, her study, here's what uh, Gail Matthews study found out. If you write your goals down versus if you don't write them down, you're 42% more likely to achieve your goals. So it's true. It's real. It actually works. And here's where I believe you probably are going the extra mile. And here's where a lot of people fail is the next step after you write your goals down. You have to tell other people your goals. You got you to write them down and show them to a bunch of other people and say, this is what I'm going to do this year or this month or this week or whatever the thing is that you're trying to accomplish. And we don't do that because we don't want to be held accountable. We're afraid to tell other people because what if our goals don't come true? What if we don't achieve them? So the reason that we don't achieve our goals is because we're not willing to be uncomfortable. Remember what we were talking about, about being uncomfortable? We're uncomfortable sharing our goals with other people. And the problem with that is that because we don't share our goals with other people, we're less likely to achieve them because we're not willing to take that risk of putting our stuff out into the world. And what Professor Matthews found is that if you write your goals down and then you tell other people, you're 50% more likely to achieve them than if you don't write them down at all. And then if you want to really, really maximize it, when you tell that person what your goals are, you need to take one small extra step that makes us really uncomfortable, which is you need to get them to commit to follow up with you and make sure you did it. And if you write them down and you tell other people and then you have someone follow up and hold you accountable on a specific date, you're going to call me in a month and you're going to ask me, did you actually do that thing? And you got to have someone that actually you believe is going to call you up. You're 78 per, you're 78% more likely to achieve your goal if you write it down, tell someone, and you know they're going to follow up with you. And this is simple stuff, Tom, that we all know, but we don't do it because it makes us uncomfortable. And, I mean, if we do nothing other than write our stuff down, tell other people, and have someone hold us accountable at the end of this year – 2015 will be potentially a very, very different year for us. And I've, al and I've always been one who's been excited about goals, but throughout my time, even some of my like business friends who are out there trying to achieve, they don't want to talk about it. They want to keep their goals private, or I don't think they write them down. I mean, I've found the other step is I don't only write them down, I carry them with me in my wallet. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a friend who laminates his and puts them in his shower so that he can't not read them that's a double negative, but he read then therefore he reads them every single day. And the more that your goal is in front of you, the, the more it, it sort of happens, right? That's, that's, that's great. I don't want to look at my goals in my shower. I want to, you know, be creative and create <laughs> new plans and ideas in my shower. My goals make me overwhelmed. I got to like sit down at my desk before I can look at my goals. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I Looking like to have, I like to have clothes on when I think about my goals. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So there's two final steps that I would throw out there to the to the listeners. So you're going to have a goal. You're going to write it down. You're going to tell others. You're going to hold yourself accountable through having them follow up with you. But there's two other critical parts 
And you know, I talk to a lot of groups of independent business owners as a speaker, and sometimes I'll ask them, how many of you have a business plan? You know, and half the room will raise their hand, oh, I have a business plan. And then I'll ask them, how many of you, you know, have looked at your business plan in the last two years? You know, most of the hands go down because they needed to have a business plan to get their bank loan. It's the only reason they ever wrote it, but they never did anything with it. So step five of the process is actually make a plan. It's fine to have your goals and write them down and tell people, but you gotta have a plan of attack. What are the actual activities you're gonna take and when are you gonna take them? Because that gives you a roadmap to navigate and people underestimate how important it is to have a plan of attack and and hold yourself to it. And the, the sixth thing, the final part of the process is track your results, figure out, well, how did you do when you did all those things in your plan? Which things should you kill and not be doing? And which things should you be doing more of to get where you need to go? Because the difference in business today versus 10 or 20 years ago is that it used to be business success came from becoming more and more efficient at what you do. Today, I believe business success comes from navigating to where your customers need you to go next. It's not about becoming faster and faster at doing the same thing. It's becoming more adept at navigating to where you need to go. And and we all have to become adept at listening, learning, navigating in our businesses over and over and over and optimizing our plan based on new input and feedback. And I think one of the things that you mentioned there is really important for people to understand. And that is, you know, you said, you know, be reviewing them. And then what what should you do more of? And, and what parts of your goals should you kill? You know, sometimes I'll set a goal and partway through the year, I'll realize my ladder's against the wrong wall. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm crossing that goal out. And I think you were talking in the beginning that people don't want to set goals because, oh, what if I fail? Well, you know what? What if you change your mind? It's totally OK to go back and say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to find a. Uh, you know, another way to, to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to block that out if you will, and, and not pursue it anymore. So setting a goal doesn't mean you have to continue after it forever, but if you don't have it as a plan and you don't have a way to follow up, you may never even do anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, our goal as business owners is to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. That's it. Well, and Jerry, I know that you're part of a couple of mastermind groups and full disclosure, Jerry and I belong to a mastermind group with five professional speakers who are all out there trying to grow our businesses and finding new ways to do things. And we meet in person twice a year for a couple days where we, you know, kind of act as a informal board of directors to each other. We open up our, our businesses and talk about what we're doing, but then also we meet via Skype uh, or Google Hangout, you know, every month and just sort of touch in and talk about where we are. And then I know that you also have a local group of people who you mastermind ideas with. Do you think like having a formal mastermind group or some people join Vistage or EO or Young Presidents Organization, do you think having like a, a forum or, or a mastermind group is helpful in achieving your goals? It, it's critical because in just the act of putting yourself in a group of people where you commit to meet once a month or whatever your time frame is and get together live, you know, a couple times a year or, or however you do it, spend a day together. Just by the act of doing that, you basically go through all the things that help people be more effective at accomplishing their goals. You write stuff down. You tell the other people what you want to do. They hold you to it. You got a plan of attack. You know, all those things by the nature of being in a mastermind group get done. And 
you know, it is so critical, so valuable. You know, I've personally experienced things where you're in that group, you're talking your way through, like, what are are your struggles? What are your challenges in your business? And just by the act of talking through it, sometimes the answers become obvious. And then all of a sudden your team holds you to it and says, by next time we meet, you better have this done because this is going to make a big difference in your business. And lo and behold, you get after it. I hate accountability. I hate it. I hate it. I am not an accountability guy, but God darn if it doesn't work and if it hasn't made a big difference in my business, even though I don't really like it. You know, so, and so it, I, I really do believe that this mastermind idea is, is is super powerful. So let's let's sort of wrap up the whole idea with like a little piece of advice. If somebody has not been a goal setter and they're listening to this thinking, OK, I'm listening to these two guys. They feel that every year their business is growing. They're accomplishing more. They're giving credit to their mastermind group or their goal setting. What nugget do you have to kind of push somebody over the edge to take action? Uh, literally a thing that, that you should do is take out your pen right now, find a piece of paper and just bring, you don't have to create your goals list, brainstorm a whole bunch of things that would make your life or your business better and different. If I could only right, you know, start off the list by saying, if I could only colon now write down everything that floods into your head and write it all down and then take another look at it set it aside for a day or a week and come back and look at it, what stands out to you? Things become clear when we put pen to paper because it forces us to get it out of that sort of jumbled mess of our brain where we're thinking about 16 things at once and you put it on paper and it becomes real and clarified for you in the real world. And it will literally, you will write down 10, 15, 20 thoughts off the top of your head in the next five minutes. Just try it and you'll be fascinated to see what comes out of your brain and what can become something that's important for 2015 for you. So, Jerry, one of the things I like to ask everybody who comes on the show is about what else they see out there, because we could talk about Jerry O'Brien and the amazing things you're doing for clients. And like I said, these killer keynotes that you're doing that's putting you in such demand all over the country right now. And, and that's exciting. And it's fun because we're friends to see you having this much success. But it can't just all be about Jerry. I think the best entrepreneurs are observers. So who else do you see out there? It can be from any industry. It doesn't have to be from your own. It could be your dry cleaner. It could be the person who runs your local you know, car dealership. Who do you see out there who's doing something where you say, that person's really killing it? That's good. You know, I, I have, and this is going to be kind of an oddball one, but um, I'm inspired by entrepreneurs and I think that the best entrepreneurs are ones who take insights from listening and watching and learning. And like you said, you know, seeing what other people are doing out there, seeing what people are struggling with, and they get an insight. And, you know, we've over the last five years seen just amazing things come from app technology, things that people want to do on their phone or their iPad or whatever. I mean, Uber is an example of some, someone that has changed transportation forever because they've made transportation more efficient. They took away all the frustrations, all the things we hate about taxis. And so I love to watch what people do and what they can do to make things more efficient. So I have a, a, someone I know who created an app that I think is just brilliant. 
and it's great for entrepreneurs to know about this too. It's an app called Greetly, G-R-E-E-T-L-Y. If you Google it, it'll come up at mygreetly.com. And basically what it is, and we've all walked into these offices. Let's say you've got an office of 20, 30, 40, 100, 200 people in your office. You've got the one person who's the receptionist, or maybe you don't have a receptionist, right? You walk in and there's no one there. And then what do they do? They stick their head in and whosever desk is the closest, they're bugged all day long by people coming in and, oh, is so-and-so here and this and that. He's got an app where he actually puts a kiosk right out in front with an iPad on it and it greets every person who walks in the building. And so instead of a receptionist, you've got an app there and you just check in, you put your name in and it automatically texts calls or emails or all three the person to let them know you're there it's like solves a problem that small and growing businesses have about how to interface with people that come to their office that's a mess and he uses technology to completely make it a better more efficient process i think it's just cool and brilliant and it's inexpensive for businesses and i just i can't wait to see where he goes with it he only launched it a few months ago and I just think it's just the slickest thing. To, it's kind of like Uber, but completely different context, taking away pain and giving a better, faster solution uh, to companies who really have something that they haven't figured out how to do very effectively yet. <laughs> and you're right. We've all walked into those places where you have to kind of ease your way down the hall looking for a human in order to yeah. find the person that you're there meeting with. So you're right that that takes care of a real problem. And really, I think that's what all entrepreneurs do. They solve problems. That's right. So Jerry, how can people get a hold of you? Where can they find out information about all the great things that you do? What big brands know com. I know it's a long, complicated name, but it is what I teach, what big brands know. So come there, uh, you know, watch my videos, read the blog, email me, LinkedIn with me, contact me. Um, you know, I love to hear from folks. I love to hear success stories about, oh, I tried this and it really, really worked. You should tell your audiences about this technique or this goal setting thing or here's how I did it. I'm a, I'm a collector of success stories. So last thing before we go, what, what, what cool thing are you going to do in 2015? What's big on, on Jerry O'Brien's goal list? Oh, what's big on Jerry O'Brien's goal list? Um, I'll tell you what's big on my list, and it's not so much – like my business has, is growing dramatically, and when your business does that – you, you get caught up in all the things that I don't like to do, the logistics of running the business. I'm not good at it and it makes me crazy. So I'm gonna spend the year trying to actually, after I said all that, become more efficient in my business offloading the things that I just don't do very well, like accounting. I'm still trying to do my own accounting. Horrible. I have no idea how I'm doing because I never put the numbers in. <laughs> Someone else has got to help me start doing the things. I'm a do-it-yourselfer. And eventually in business, you realize what we all know but don't do is you can't do the things yourself that you're just not very good at. So I'm going to offload that stuff to try to make my business run more effectively. All right. Well, everybody who's listening to cool things entrepreneurs do right now, hold Jerry accountable to see if he can do that this year. If you listen to oh, this no, late. Oh, no, I didn't see. If you listen to this late in the year, <laughs> they can send you an email. There, Tom. That's right. Email him and say, I'm holding you accountable. I listened to this in September and I want to know, did you really offload stuff yet this year? See, the whole oh. world, the whole world is now 
now your accountability partner, Jerry. Uh, oh, man. Now I, I'm going to really have to do this stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jerry, thanks for joining us here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do for this chat. And those of you who are listening, please tune in again in a couple days. We'll have a new episode. And if you're listening at the beginning of 2015, I hope you have a fantastic year. I hope you take some of Jerry's advice and set goals. And if you've never set goals before, reach out to either Jerry or I, and, and we'll help you. I bet we'd take an email or, or a call from some people and, and help you kind of figure it out. And go out there in the meantime and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.